Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome once again to the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club, uh, with your hosts, Patrick Lunn and... Rob Davis. There we go. Um, today we are tackling the first three chapters of Stormfront, uh, the first book in the Dresden Files series, uh, as well as uh, a little bit of news on what's going on in the Butcherverse uh, and and with our own reading uh, kind of habits. Uh, so I'm going to start by tossing it over to uh, Rob. And uh, what have you been reading recently, Rob? Uh, the first three chapters of Stormfront. I'll let that <laughs> <laughs> the um, other thing you've been reading no, recently. Yeah, <laughs> currently reading Ghost Story, which is book forget the numbering, book thirteen. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, 13. thirteen. So you're only yeah, two behind book, the, the big uh, two behind yeah. where we're at in the series. Yeah, and I'm read that I'm a first timer for that as well. So yeah, mystery and intrigue, Pat. Mystery and intrigue. <laughs> it's also worth pointing out I, I realised this while reading um, Stormfront, the first three chapters um, it, it makes mention of it you know, being like the turn of the 21st century and all that, and I remembered that I think Stormfront came out 20 years ago on my birthday so start of, start of this month it, it turned 20 it did, yes how do you feel about that? <laughs> Um, it's interesting, like, uh, cause, uh, and it touches upon this in, uh, the first couple of chapters of Stormfront, um, Dresden doesn't work with technology, um, being mm. a wizard, like wizards are established to like interfere with technology. So a lot of detective series that I've read, uh, since the turn of the century, um, have struggled with keeping the mystery where technology is like advancing so much. Um, I think kind of CSI definitely uh, contributed to this where it felt like with forensics and stuff, it was so hard to get away with a crime Um, and Mm. a a kind of a hard nosed detective couldn't really uh, track down um, any better than a computer could. But when you, look at the Dresden verse, it hasn't had that problem because magic is effect, uh, affects technology. Um, all those sort of classic ways uh, of forensic analysis don't really come into, um, into play as much, uh, which I think makes Dresden um, in some ways uh, timeless or at least um, I can read Stormfront and pretend that it's 2020 as much as I can pretend that it is uh, 2000 or uh, 2010, um, it doesn't yeah. really matter. You could probably even set it in the 80s and it wouldn't change that much. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you, you say that because that's one thing that I keep feeling. I mean, discovering the series two years ago, or probably getting into it two years ago at least, um, I keep forgetting that the half half of the series that I've read, or three quarters of the series I've read more like, Yeah. Um, have all been, I think, written in the last not not even in the last decade. I think Ghost Story was written two thousand or published in two thousand eleven. So, I mean, with that in mind, it means that like all the books I've read, and like the iPhone existed for maybe two of those books, three of those books. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, which is which is really weird when you think about it, but because like you say, it's not reliant on technology because of the whole wizardy thing. You don't really focus in on that, I guess. I think that's definitely a strength of the series. Definitely. I mean, I feel like the only references that, I mean, not necessarily show its age, really, but, um, you, you know, like the typical references he throws in for, like, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and all that kind of thing. But, I mean, then you're going back to, like, late 70s for Star Wars. Rings was published in the 50s and you could be referencing the films which were like early 2000s. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, think... um, and yeah, sorry. To... No, no, it's I was cool. going to ask uh, what are you reading at the moment? 
so uh, at the moment, um, I'm reading the first three chapters of Stormfront, um, and uh, as well, um, novel-wise, I haven't really got anything on the go. Uh, I read a lot of graphic novels, uh, as I touched on last episode. Uh, but the other thing that I'm reading is the Curse of Strad D and D module, uh, which I'm running for uh, a group through the uh, the kind of pandemic lockdown, uh, including yourself, um, which is is going very very well, uh, and I'm enjoying tormenting everyone. Um, and there is a nice kind of crossover with the Dresden Files, so. Uh, I, I spent some time this week uh, really, really getting into Daniel Green on YouTube. Uh, can't recommend him enough if you want to get into um, Dresden Files or, or anything uh, kind of sci-fi fantasy related. Uh, Daniel Green is your man. He is awesome. Um, does lots of like tier lists. He's, he's got some, like, as well as a tier list, he's got some really solid videos and recommendations for uh, like you know, new fantasy books. If you're just getting into fantasy, he's got some really good recommendations on how to get into the genre. Completely agree. Um, so I, I hadn't really watched his channel until last week, and then I've I've binged it to death. Um, but he did an interview with Jim Butcher that we we referenced last time. Uh, and if you've gone and watched that, um, you'll already know this. But uh, when Jim Butcher was starting to plan the Dresden Files, he created all the core characters as D&D characters to help explore kind of the motivations and how they'd run. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting was that he made Dresden uh, like a low intelligence, low wisdom wizard, but with a really high constitution. So he can just take a lot of hits, um, which, you know, that, that goes very well with, with the story and how it plays out. Um, and uh, Jim, admitted that a lot of his uh, story ideas come from him running stuff with his D&D group uh, or him uh, playing as different characters. Um, so th- there's a great like tradition, I guess, of crossover. And that's even uh, more evident when you look at the Dresden Files RPG. Definitely. I mean, that seems quite common as well with a lot of fantasy writers. I think... I can't remember if Brandon Sanderson's done a similar kind of thing, but um, Steven Erickson and I can't remember who who is who the other author of the series is, but uh, they created the like the whole Malazan book of the fallen stuff. Oh yeah. From uh, you know, building the world and everything through uh, I can't remember the name of the game system. It's I can't remember the name of it, but it is similar to D and D. They built the whole world from like scratch, built the characters, its history, and everything, mm-hmm. and then it developed into like screenplay, pitched it as a TV series, and it was like, nah, not going to happen because this was like early nineties, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then I think Steven Erickson rewrote it as a novel and planned out like a ten book series, and you had the other guy doing like all the side novels. So they had, I mean, it's, I don't know if you've read any of them, but definitely worth checking out. I think Daniel Green's done a few videos in them as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think I've I've tried Gardens of the Moon. Sounds right. Um, yeah, that's the first. Yeah, I'm just having a quick look to see if we can get the the name of the system. Um, tabletop role playing game. No, it, it just it. Uh, it just seems to be that, that they used it as uh, the background for uh, a, a campaign that they ran uh, for a tabletop role-playing game, but I can't see the system that they used. Um, but that's all cool. I think yeah. Like generic, like I can't remember what the anagram is, but it's like generic role-playing system or something. I'm probably missing a word out. <laughs> no worries. Letter out. Um... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Uh, we're a Dresden Files podcast. We're we're not a Steven Erickson podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give it give it time. All things are possible. Um, cool. Yeah. So uh, that's I think that's that's really uh, it with checking in with us uh, in the world of kind of the Dresden Files. Um, 
it, it's all just kind of uh, it's a little quiet waiting for uh, peace talks and uh, battlegrounds. Um, since last episode, I watched that Daniel Green interview. Uh, a couple of things that really stood out to me is that he said that he considers battlegrounds to be um, as uh, meteoric uh, as as groundbreaking for the series as Changes was, uh, which is a really bold claim. <laughs> um, that is a claim indeed. Yeah, I I I, I was a bit like. <sighs> Oh, Jim, don't go cashing, uh, cashing, uh, writing checks that you can't cash. Uh, he's been known to lie as well, apparently. So, sorry, he's apparently he's been known to lie as well. Yeah. So that also, I, I, I don't know if we said it on the podcast or if it was in a like conversation we had when I was reading changes, but we were saying how um from from like all the stuff that they were shown in the book trailer, mm-hmm. it kind of worried about you know there's going to be like a major character death or something like that and now because because if it's going to be as big as changes then more of a reason to expect that definitely definitely um i think yeah i i think i'm prepared to lose a character i think um with the with the lying as well i think there's uh it's so hard for fantasy authors now to deal with like the collective mind of the internet trying to piece together and work out their plots before they even drop them. Um, I, I think one of the only ways you, you can deal with it is to, to kind of lead a bit of a, a false trail or some red herrings. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so uh, getting into uh, the meat of today, uh, we've got Stormfront, the first three chapters. Uh, so just going to give a little bit of a background on Stormfront and kind of how it came to be. Uh, so Stormfront is the first novel in the Dresden Files series. It uh, follows Harry on uh, kind of his, not not like his, his first case, but his first kind of like big groundbreaking, massive, like universe spanning case, I guess. Um and it was written by Jim Butcher uh, to prove a creative writing teacher wrong. And I think both me and Rob can sympathize with that. Um, yeah. So Jim Butcher was really big into his fantasy. His creative writing teacher uh, essentially said, uh, okay, it's cool, but um, focus on like on, on the, the craft and, and a bit less on the kind of fantastical elements uh, go away and, and use kind of these techniques for building a story. Jim Butcher went away and did this uh, to prove that if you use these techniques, it would come out as generic and horrible. Uh, and uh, what he came away with was the Dresden files. Um, he then uh, told his, uh, showed it to his teacher, to his creative writing class they all loved it. His crazy writing teacher said, great. Um, so uh, he'd written about the first three chapters, I believe, uh, which works out really cool what we're doing today. Uh, and um, the teacher said, go away and, and tell me uh, how the rest would, would kind of play out. And uh, what Jim did, uh, not realising that his teacher meant how the rest would play out for this one novel, uh, he went away and planned a 20-book uh, series with a three-book apocalypse, brought that back into class, and his teacher was like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> what have I done? Which uh, is just, yeah, incredible. Um... <laughs> what do you think that creative writing group is doing now? <laughs> um <laughs> I believe, because he never names her, but he says that she's got over 40 published books. Yeah. But then, with my experience of creative writing teachers, 40 published books can very much be like 40 pamphlets. Yeah, fair point. Uh, so, I, who knows? Um, I, I want to believe that... Um, those 40, 40 published books that it's someone big, or at least that we we didn't recognize the name. Yeah, I like to think they still they're still in touch. 
definitely. Like, <laughs> they have a really bizarre relationship. Like the creative variety features are, you're right, Jim. How, how's it going? And Jim's like, I oh, you know just published my uh fifteenth book in this series. <laughs> you know the one. And just just gloats about it <laughs> to them. And then it's like, yes, I know, Jim. I know. <laughs> By the way, can you sign my copy, please? <laughs> just so I can I can uh, sell it on eBay and get my Christmas bonus. <laughs> um, sorry, it's not a bad plan. It it is not a bad plan. Signed Jim Butcher books. I, I think do go for a fair amount now. So yeah, <laughs> um, so uh, after finishing Stormfront, um, which apparently he finished alongside his creative writing degree, which is insanity to me, um, it then took the best part of ten years uh, to get published, which is about in line with what we both know of the publishing industry. I think. Yeah, sounds about normal. Yeah. Um, I think over that time uh, there was a, a, a bit of a shift in kind of fantasy um, and uh, around uh, 2000 uh, it was a lot easier to get fantasy and sci-fi stuff published, uh, genre fiction in general uh, because of the rise of Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, there was a lot more of an appetite for it um, and I think Jim was very lucky that uh it was the right novel at the right time, really. Um, and a, a great, a, a, another great little uh, tidbit is that um, he, when selling the book to uh, publishers, uh, his elevator pitch was Dirty Harry Potter. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's not far off. It's 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 really not. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a great it's a great in. Um, and I suppose going back to what we were saying last week about selling it on Harry Potter, the the truth of it is Dresden Files would not exist without Harry Potter on some level. I mean, if you look at the timing of Stormfront coming out as well, that that was probably what peak Harry Potter. Oh, definitely. Time. Like that. Was- that would have been around the time Goblet of Fire was released. So I know your growing fan base, you've got like the adults who like Harry Potter as well. It is, you've got another wizard named Harry doing magic. It's going to appeal to someone of that. Exactly. I guess. Exactly. Um, and I, and I think that... Yeah. Uh, I, I think that was definitely the... Uh, it was the right time. Certainly. Um... So yeah, uh, let's get in to uh, to Stormfront chapter one. Uh, do you want to give like a, a bit of a rundown of chapters one to three? Uh, yeah, can do. I've got cool. the book with me. Unfortunately, I've, I read it on Kindle, so and I've got the physical copy on my lap at the moment. So I apologize if I keep pausing to flick through the pages. It's all good, man. But, Chapter one, we're given the introduction to uh, Harry Dresden, Wizard for Hire. Uh, his sound, sound, his sign slash ad is uh, Harry Dresden, Wizard. Lost items found, paranormal investigations, consulting, advice, reasonable rates, no love potions, endless purses, parties, or other entertainment. So you know he's not going to pull a rabbit out of his hat. <laughs> but. We get this. We get our introduction to uh, Harry, and, and I think it's quite an interesting way how it's done. Is that he hears the footsteps of his postman, and he knows it's not his regular postman. Then he hears the postman snigger at the sign on his uh, office door, <laughs> and it's really just like the, the kind of back and forth Q and A with between him and the postman. The postman being like, "Are you really a wizard?" And he's trying to look in the office to see if he's got like scantily clad assistants and whatnot. yeah we we get that introduction which gives us a bit of the you know who who harry is what he does and because it's all in first person as well we have that kind of internal monologue i guess but we're we're getting to know harry's thoughts in it like you've got the post uh, postman saying you know 
taking jabs at him for this and that, but you've got Harry in his head being like, boy, if you've seen the thing I've seen, <laughs> yeah, you'd wish that I'd be an entertainer kind of thing, which I, which I quite like. Um, and off the back of that, we get the call from, uh, I've already forgotten her name, but we get the call from the woman asking him to investigate her husband's death. Um, she gives a fake name, uh, I believe. I think it is it Monica. Yeah, I, want to, I want to say yes. Bear with me, and I will skim. Yep, yeah, Monica is correct. Cool. Yep, and that leads us to then we get a call from uh, the one and only Karen <laughs> Murphy, and that brings us into chapter two. Um, we have Dresden visiting the murder scene where we're introduced to the Special Investigations Squad, Task Force, whatever they're called. Yep. Special Investigations something. That was it. And um, from there, we'll get introduced to Carmichael and Murphy. Um, And I I especially like this, especially, you know, reading the later books where I'm at in the series at the moment. I like this even more. Um, Because we get the... We get a bit of their relationship, a bit of you know how Murphy is, and we get a lot of the like you know the sarcasm Harry's known for, I guess, and his chivalry and all that kind of thing. Um, and we get the first mention of the Ministry of Magic, by which I mean the White Council. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with that, we get like like I say, he's investigating the murder scene. Um, spoilers, but not really. The murder is. Is it two two victims and their hearts have in, uh, exploded out of their rip cages? And it's yeah, been, like, so it's, uh, it, it well it, it's revealed later in the, in the chapter that it's a it's a mafia kind of enforcer and a prostitute um, during kind of uh, love making. Uh, God, this is a difficult uh, subject to approach on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, during uh, yep yeah, uh, that. Um, the uh, basically their hearts both exploded out of their chests. Yeah, <laughs> fun time. <laughs> but I mean, through that, it, it sounds like from what we know from this and his uh, conversation with Murphy is that his way of consulting and finding, you know, how can how someone goes about doing this is that he recreates like any other potions or rituals to form that spell. And this is where the White Council comes in, because they're un- I, I don't know if they're if it's made clear that they're unaware of him consulting with the police or anything like that. But um, I think it's more through, they just through, don't care, do they? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, through through his shady past, it's kind of revealed that he's got the sword of Damocles hanging over his head, which is like a curse kind of thing. Um, it, it's basically like a warning if he gets caught doing anything that breaks the laws of magic like you know recreating a death ritual that makes people's hearts explode if he gets caught with anything like that or any of the materials to make this then you know that's it he's uh he's dead so we're kind of we get that kind of a bit of an insight into his relationship i suppose with the white council yes definitely um and from there into chapter three we're introduced to probably Probably one of my favourite side characters in the series, Gentleman John Marcone. I can get behind that. Yeah, and it's it's quite. I find this quite interesting, and I'll, we'll go into it when we discuss it more. But um, we're introduced to Marcone and his henchman, who I want to say is Hendrix. It's Hendrix. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I got that right because there was a moment of doubt as I said it. But um, <laughs> as as you mentioned. The one of the victims in the murder was, uh, you know, revealed to be one of his bodyguards, mm-hmm. and typ- typical kind of mafia thing. He doesn't want the police involved. He wants to investigate it and deal with it himself, which is fair enough. So <laughs> he's trying to pay pay Harry off, you know, like double your day rate for the next two weeks to just you know sit back and basically do nothing. Don't involve yourself with Murphy or the police at all. Let me handle it. And uh, Harry being Harry is like, I'll do whatever I want, son. But then they do the whole thing where uh, they look into each other's eyes and 
if he leaves it too long, he does you know what's called a soul gaze, where you're revealed everything there is to know about a person. And they have their soul gaze, also the first first soul gaze, I think, of the series, because he almost had one with Murphy. Yeah. Uh, in the previous chapter, but she, she looked away first. He wins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they Markham wins the staring contest, and they both get that glimpse into each other's uh, souls. And yeah, it's fair to say Marcone comes out on top and Harry's a bit on edge about it. Um, I, I love the way that Marcone's uh, soul is described. Yeah, it's like, was it an empty fridge or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he, he just like, it's it's cold and clinical. Um, and... Yeah. and there's that like, little dark part of his soul, which is the bit in the corner of that where he gets his will and determination from. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm just... I'm actually just trying to see if I can find uh, the actual quote, because it is pretty It's pretty awesome. Um, uh, uh, he was a soldier, a warrior, behind that relaxed smile and fatherly manner. He was going to get what he wanted, and he was going to get it in the most efficient way possible. He was a dedicated man, dedicated to his goals, dedicated to his people. He never let fear affect him. He made a living on human misery and suffering, peddling in drugs and flesh and stolen goods. But he took steps to minimize that suffering because it was simply the most efficient means of running his business. He was furious over Tommy Tom's death, a cold and practical kind of fury that his rightful dominion had been invaded and challenged. He intended to fight those responsible and deal with them in his own way, and he didn't want the police interfering. He had killed before and would again, and it would all mean nothing more to him than a business transaction, than paying for groceries in the checkout line. It was a dry and cool place inside Gentleman Johnny Marcone, except for one dim corner. There, hidden away from his everyday thoughts, there lurked a secret shame. I couldn't quite see what it was, but I knew that somewhere in the past there was something that he would give anything to undo would spill blood to a raise. It was from that dark place that he drew his resolve, his strength. Love it. Yeah. I think that <laughs> that's an incredible bit of character study. Definitely. And it's quite interesting because, again, uh, you're rereading this for the first time. Yeah, for the first time. And getting to know Marcone's character throughout all the other books. Yeah, it's and then finding out what that motivation is in more detail and stuff. It's annoying. I know. I think it shows how well the series was planned out. And if it wasn't as planned out as Jim Butcher says it is, and he's making up as he goes along, then he's very good at doing that. <laughs> I uh, definitely agree. Um, I think there's just something like even that paragraph feels very efficient. Um, mm. the, like the repetition of like uh, he like he was and it, it's just kind of like these are all the statements that you need to know about John Marcone, uh, like filed also, and factual I also feel like with Marcone having a presence in a lot of the other books as well I feel that paragraph just nails the character down to a point like you don't you don't need to know anything else about him, even if he appeared in the other books and had no dialogue. And it, like all we got was Marcone's here, and then you know these events transpired. I feel that paragraph is enough to know about him to know that you know what's going on is going on because of Marcone. I, I completely agreed, and that, and this kind of brings me over to uh, the first topic that I wanted to discuss because um, I think I think we're pretty much there with the summary. Um, yeah, definitely. So uh, the first topic that I wanted to discuss was Gentleman John Marcone. Is he a good character or is he a stereotype? I'm glad you've put that in the discussion notes because when when I first read Stormfront and Full Moon, I think I mentioned last week that I read a few chapters of Stormfront when I had you know, the novel initially and then I just couldn't get into it at the time. Um and then I read the first two books in graphic novel form. Mm -hmm. And you don't get as much detail of like Harry's insight. It's like an abridged version. And from that, 
I felt I, I enjoyed Marcone's character, but he comes off in the graphic novel as more generic mafia boss type. Like I got a real kind of um, Carmine Falcone vibe from like the Batman Begins from like Tom Wilkinson's character. I I can vibe. only see Tom Wilkinson playing him. <laughs> so can I now. And <laughs> I also want to say that my fan cast for uh, Marcone would be like John Hamm. Like if they if they if they announced like a Dresden TV show or film right now, John Hamm would be my like dream. You know I can see that. Um, I, He's got I, that kind of cool reserve about him. Only coming back to it now um, and rereading how how Gentleman John Marcone is kind of introduced, and he seems. I mean, Harry compares him to like um, a high school football coach. Um, yeah, and that that he's very like fatherly, and that like you can trust this guy, um, and I've I've always just I have always pictured it as like a very stereotypical mafia boss um, with a, a bit more going on under the surface than than appears. But I I think uh, especially if they were doing like a film or something of Stormfront, um, which we'll we'll talk at some point about whether or not that that is a good idea. Um, I think uh, John Hamm would be really interesting casting because he's got such a trustable face. He looks like the the picture of success. Um, yeah, I think uh, the way he was used in. Um, Oh my god! What's the what's that series called? The one with uh, in Good Omens. Good Omens, yeah. Um, I, I can see him playing a very similar role. Agreed. Agreed so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, Con, sorry, just to touch upon this again. Uh, I'm reading it. This is like my first time reading the the novel as prose. Um, and I, I don't know if it's because again rereading you know how the character is going to kind of play out in later books and stuff but no knowing that and now going back and rereading the first book i feel he definitely comes across as a greater character and i remember his presence in the graphic novel being more intimidating at the start as well and don't get me wrong that soul gaze is as intimidating as anything Mm. but lost my train of thought (laughs) but um the uh, the contrast between him being uh, more fatherly. Yeah, like there's there's the um a theme with Marcone always comes up in later books of like oh yeah like it's Harry will be like oh Marcone what what a dick don't like him he smells and you'll have another character being like oh yeah but you know he's the necessary evil and I feel that's an interesting topic and one that we'll probably revisit. <laughs> in like every episode or whatever scene he pops up in. Yeah. But I feel I, I definitely get that vibe from him here. He's a man of honor. He's kind of trying to do what's right more by him than anything else, I guess. But there is that sense of honor, that sense of duty to doing the like, you know, the right kind of thing, but it's a bit grey. Definitely, definitely. Um and I think once he starts interacting more with the magical world, um, a, a little bit of a spoiler, but not really. Um, <laughs> uh, well, as he's following this case, he begins to learn about the magical world. And the more that Marcone learns about the magical world, that practicality and that balance um, and the kind of necessary evil side of him um, makes him... Uh, a really formidable um, in that world. Yeah. Um, it also shows that it doesn't. It doesn't above like how every other character is kind of like you know dressing like oh this is magic or that's a vampire and everyone else is like oh my god and then shits themselves before accepting the supernatural. <laughs> I, I remember Marcone just kind of being like okay and then just kind of adapts. To the situation. Yeah, I, I fully believe that if you took Marco and put him on Mars, he would just find a way to turn that to his advantage. Definitely. Um, and that that's a really fun character. 
um, to have in this world. He's probably the one character, well, well, I say the one character, one of many characters, but the one that, as soon as he's mentioned or actually appears in a scene in one of the novels, I'm instantly just like, you know shit's going to go down. Definitely. Especially if like it's men. If it's like an enemy targeting him, it's gonna go down. He 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 won't stand for it. There's gonna be some huge climatic battle at some point. Definitely, um, and and I think he is a really good um, foil to Dresden in that Dresden gets by on being um, very like. He's he's hyper adaptive, but he's hyper adaptive in the moment. Um, like mm. he he will pull something out at the last second to keep him his um his skin in the game. Uh, whereas uh, Marco is hyper adaptive. Um, over time he plans, he's methodical, um, and they make great contrasts with that. Definitely. Um, which uh, which I love. I I think I think. Uh, Mark Owen was a great construction from Jim Butcher. Um, as to whether or not he is a stereotype, I I would come down on no. Um, I think I think I agree, especially as the more we see of him as well. Yeah, um, I think it's it's almost um, he is portraying a a stereotype, but there's more going on. Yeah, um, I think I think he wears that mask um, very very well, and um, plays off the kind of uh, intimidation that that gives. Uh, the next point I wanted to uh, bring up uh, with you was uh, Murphy and Dresden's relationship at this point, and I've got another quote for this one. Um, so this is uh, the first time that uh, that Murphy is introduced as Murphy uh, in the series. Um, and I think it really sets up um, how Murphy and Dresden are uh, an unlikely like buddy cop team. Yeah. So, uh, Karen Murphy was waiting for me outside the Madison. Karen and, I, Karen and I are a study in contrasts. Where I am tall and lean, she is short and stocky. Where I have dark hair and dark eyes, she's got Shirley Temple blonde locks and baby blues. Where my features are all lean and angular, with a hawkish nose and a sharp chin, hers are round and smooth, with the kind of cute nose you'd expect on a cheerleader. It was cool and windy, like it usually is in March, and she wore a long coat that covered her pantsuit. Murphy never wore dresses, though I suspected she'd have a muscular that she'd have muscular, well-shaped legs like a gymnast. She was built for function and had a pair of trophies in her office from Aikido tournaments to prove it. Her hair was cut at shoulder length and whipped out wildly in the spring wind. She wasn't wearing earrings and her makeup was of sufficient quality and quantity that it was tough to tell she had any on at all. She looked more like a favourite aunt or a cheerful mother than a hard-bitten homicidal detective. Which I I think that, that just sets up it's a very physical description and um, yeah. maybe isn't the best uh, to start with that with uh, Murphy, but um, I think the, there is a there's a bit of skill involved in that because I think a lot of Murphy's character comes from the way that the world looks at her and the way that she uses that. It's definitely, I mean, it's shown throughout that chapter as well how. You know, she's gone from like the lowest point to where she is, like leading that team, mm-hmm. and it's definitely. I know a lot, a lot of her character traits and how how she acts, and especially in the earlier books, and a lot of the other books actually come to think of it, is purely down to her gender. She's not. I know. Do, do you know what I'm trying <laughs> trying to get at? She's definitely. I think I uh, Murphy. Is very, uh, Murphy actually falls into a, into almost a similar category to Marcone, and I guess this this shows that practicality is is what gets you by in the magical world. But um, she is very aware that people underestimate her because she is 
I think it does describe her height at some point, but um, I, I've always assumed her to be like at most like five six, five seven. Um, yeah, that's why I've been. And then she's got like uh, she's blonde hair, blue eyed, um, very much like the the classic um, westernized like beauty standard. Um, but with that. Uh, she comes from a long line of cops. She knows how cops underestimate her. She knows how um, criminals underestimate her because she's blonde and blue-eyed. Um, yeah. And she she's always used that to kind of get people to drop their guard. Um, and then she has uh, her martial art prowess, uh, which allows her to essentially uh, eliminate that kind of size advantage. Um that a lot of her kind of opponents have. Um, and that when she's described as a favorite aunt or a cheerful mother, it that's so, um, it's, it, you're going to open up to your favorite aunt or a cheerful mother. You will not open up to a hard bitten homicide detective. And I think she's painfully aware that if she showed how she really was on the outside, um, she would not be able to get anywhere near as far as she has in uh, the world. Yeah. Definitely. Um, which is a comment on uh, the misogyny within the police department and not the misogyny within the Paranet podcast, just to put that one out there. Yeah, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of following from that, uh, one of the... <coughs> excuse me. Uh, one of the things that struck out, struck out, stuck out to me more, especially like with this. I mean, I know I keep saying it, I'm rereading this for the first time. Um, and, you know, especially where I'm at with book 13 as well, is their relationship. And you get hints of it here, but you notice that Karen Murphy is more, <laughs> how do I word it, less tolerant of him, I guess, and his. And his uh, sarcasm. Like there's Definitely. the description of her scene, of the scene in that in the uh, elevator where, you know, Harry's like, "Oh, we're in the elevator in silence, but you know, we we've worked together a few times before. It's a comfortable silence." But you know, if that scene was happening eight books later, they'd be in the elevator having a conversation, whether it's personal or you know, business related. Definitely, and um, I think one one of the most incredible aspects of the Dresden Files, and we'll pick this up several times, I'm sure, um, is the relationship between Murphy and Dresden because uh, Jim Butcher does a great job of um, giving that relationship a a trajectory. Trajectory? Bloody hell. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh, Does a great job of giving giving that that relationship, uh, that arc. That's an easier word to say. Um, And... Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, uh, large effects on the grand scale of uh, Dresden Files, um, large events um, have an impact on that relationship. And sometimes um, when either of them are at their low points, uh, they pick each other up uh, as either great friends or... Um, as questionably more than that. Uh, that's something that gets examined more in later books. Um, but they, uh, this is right at the start and it's like, we'll get there. Um, but Butch did a great job here of kind of being like, okay, this is someone that um, Dresden has, has chatted with. Um, he's worked with, it's a colleague um, but they're not they're not best friends yet, and and I think that's that's really good. We definitely get a bit of a tease of that friendship, though. So like towards the end of the chapter, you you've got um, Harry Murphy and Carmichael investigating the scene. Carmichael is sent away to get coffee or whatever it is, and we get a bit more of the characters by themselves investigating the crime. And I, I can't remember exactly what the line is, but Harry cracks a joke and it describes Murphy as, you know, pulling... I can't remember if she laughs or if she pulls a, like, little smile. But it's like, it, it went yeah. from being, you know, strictly business. They, they've they worked, you know, clearly they're not super 
informal with each other to then being quite as soon as Carmichael leaves the room it becomes more like the relationship we're more familiar with in later books definitely um i yeah i i think it that that friendship is starting um and it, there's just it, it's great cuz this is why um Stormfront is a great place to start the the story of of Dresden, um, and because Murphy is an important part of that, it's a great place to start the story of their relationship. Um, and part of that is that these hints of friendship are starting to kind of bleed in. Um. So yeah. Uh, uh, that I think that that pretty much covers uh, Dresden and Murphy's relationship at this point. Unless there's anything else you want to throw in? Yeah, I mean, uh, not really. I was going to move on to the final point. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, do you, you want to start that one off? Yeah, I'll bring it in. <laughs> um, my, I mean, it's kind of following on what you just said, I guess. But um, kind of thoughts on it being the introduction to this series because there's there's a lot of debate that each book can be read you know by itself i mean it does do a good job of each book being quite standalone but there are little hints or little tiny like plot ends that like thread over in to the next book or into another book mm-hmm. i mean obviously that we're not going to get that with stormfront but yeah i mean what are your thoughts on it being an introduction to these characters i guess yeah, so I think um, Stormfront. I think I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of break this question into two um, because uh, Stormfront as a whole, as an introduction to the series, I think um, we will we can fully cover uh, when we when we finish it. Um, these first three yeah. chapters as an introduction to the series. Uh, the first chapter where Harry has that interaction with an unnamed mailman. Um, I I think that that is the perfect introduction to Harry Dresden. Um, like the the discussion of his advert, um, the way that he he deals with skeptics. Um, I feel like it covers so much, um, beautifully. Like you get his tone of voice, you get his tone of voice within the the first like paragraph. Um, and you immediately know um, his footsteps uh, when he's listening to the the mailman. He he can tell by the mailman's footsteps whether it's his normal mailman. That's not a magic. <coughs> that is just a listening thing. And um, you begin to get an understanding that he consider he he's not just um, a wizard. He is a detective, and he is. Uh, methodical and um, he listens. Um, I think that's more. He's maybe not as methodical as other characters, but he he definitely um, he picks up on things uh, that other people might not. Um, yeah, and and I think I think that's really interesting. Um, then you get you get kind of his jokey side um, as he's dealing with uh, the postman. Um, or mailman, if it's American. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you get a little bit of an instruction into Chicago. Uh, you get a bit of an instruction into some of the things he deals with, like vampire attacks, trolls, fairies. Um, and that immediately sets up that we're not just dealing with uh, Gothic monsters or um, Western monsters. We're dealing with everything, um, which I think is, is really nice. Um, and a and a great thing on uh, a great part of Jim Butcher's philosophy, which is um, that there is nothing that doesn't fit into the Dresden Files. It just is how he fits it into the Dresden Files that matters. Yeah. Um, and uh, you get a little bit about how he can how well he reads people, both the woman on the phone, Monica, and the mailman. Um. I, it's just a beautiful setup, and then uh, you get the nice, uh, like Jim Butcher, um, end of chapter cliffhanger where he says, uh, 
Paranoid? Probably. But just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that there isn't an invisible demon about to eat your face. Um, <laughs> which, it, it's it's a very light cliffhanger, but it's it's nice. Um, it does the job. Exactly, exactly. Then chapter two, so we've got our protagonist. Now we're going to get our, um, our supporting protagonist, I suppose. Uh, so we get Murphy introduced at the same time. We've got the um, the dramatic tension of the book introduced in the murder, um, and it's or it's still it already sets up that just by investigating this murder, Dresden is going to be putting a target on his back, um, and immediately we've got more tension is being thrown on because not only does he need to pay his rent, not only does he need to help Murphy, not only does he need to solve the crime, he now is going to be uh, pulling heat from the. Um, white council um and a lot of this sets up like we said uh murphy and dresden's relationship which is um is superb uh, it also sets up how other police see dresden uh again um really really kind of integral like um it shows that how the average person uh views the magical world as, as it's nothing it, it doesn't really exist um Sets up Bianca, uh, who is uh, the owner of the Velvet Room and a vampire in herself, um, which uh, will come into play later and we'll discuss Ban- uh, Bianca later. Um, and so you've already got a bunch of plot threads, a bunch a bunch of tension, Murphy set up, Dresden set up, the way the magical world is set up, it, it's, it's just brilliant. Get to the end of that chapter and then we hit chapter three and it's like, right, okay, not only does this guy have problems in the magical world, not only does he have to deal with the police, here's a mob boss that's after him. Here's gentleman Johnny Marcone who's just taken an interest in him. Uh, and we see a, a first look at an antagonist, and not just an antagonist uh, that will be in this book, but an antagonist that's going to go uh, on and on throughout the, the series. Um, and, and I think this is also a little uh, wink from... Uh, Jim Butcher that yeah okay Murphy is going to be along around for a long time and she is going to be a big part of Dresden's life so is Marcone uh and you can't just have all the good there's going to be good and bad um and, and I think that's that's uh really interesting and it, again it sets up more dramatic tension uh and we have the soul gaze which is kind of our first it's our first real bit of magic in the series um so yeah you're right actually I didn't think of that yeah, and and I I feel like this sets up like yeah okay we are gonna have like the the blasting and the and the magical fights and stuff but magic is also gonna be like an emotional thing it's gonna be a character driven thing it's gonna give us different ways to explore narrative and explore character um, and so with these three chapters you've got protagonist uh, supporting protagonist antagonist dramatic tension more dramatic tension more dramatic tension how the world views magic, how the world is set up, the sort of monsters we're going to, uh, we're going to have. And it really is like, it's your basic toolkit for this is the Dresden files. If you get to the end of this third chapter and you're like, nothing here has, um, has interested me. You're probably not going to want to go much further. Um, and, and that's okay. It's not for everyone. Um, but I think most people that get hooked into this series by the end of this third chapter uh, are like, right, there is something in this that has got me and I'm in. Um, so that's my thoughts. What are yours? Basically that. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> I, I didn't realise that I was going to ramble so much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like... Just kind of emphasizing the point that as a starting point, these three chapters give you kind of everything you need to know going forward. It introduces you to the main antagonist, the point of view thing. It's all first person, so you're getting Harry's thoughts on every situation and everyone he meets. Mm-hmm. Um, second chapter, like you say, we're introduced to secondary um, protagonist slash supporting character Murphy. Yeah, I'm not sure done brilliantly. What to call her in this context, like she would be a supporting actor in a in a film, I suppose. 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a bit of a tough one, especially in the first two books. I feel she's not quite at that point of fully trusting him either. Exactly. So I guess I know uh, there is a word I'm looking for, but I can't think of it at the moment. Um, I'll mention it next week and sound really clever. That's my plan. Good plan. <laughs> um, yeah, we get a bit of insight into their relationship, how she works, what she expects from him, and kind of how magic works as well, because he breaks down you know, the ritual and everything like that. And there's a kind of passing comment from um, Carmichael. I can't, I can't remember what it is, but it's like, oh, is this the kind of thing you normally do? And he's like, I don't have time to assemble the ingredients for a death ritual and all this kind of thing. So it shows, again, shows that, like, I mean, he it's not that, just a case of... When uh, Harry starts explaining what thaumaturgy is, um, yeah, on a small scale and give it energy to happen on a large scale, Carmichael just, like, throws in what bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is kind of a good sign of how magic works. It gives you a bit of detail there, mm-hmm. that it's not just a case of... You know, how how we experience like Harry Potter, for example, where it's you know just a case of pointing your wand and shouting whatever. Yeah, exactly, and and that will be it's a running theme. More complicated. Uh, something that we touched upon in um, a restoration of faith as well is that magic. You have a reserve of it. It's not unlimited as it is in uh, Harry Potter, even Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. When you're out, you're out. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, I think that that's that's pretty much it for the first three chapters. Yeah. There's. I don't think there's anything else we can really cover at the at the moment. So I'd say. That being said, yeah. um, if you've got any thoughts uh, about the first three chapters, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we put our email address on all the episodes. Uh, you can now listen to us on Spotify uh, and hopefully very, very soon iTunes, um, as well as on worth... Podbean. Uh, sorry, Rob. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, I mentioned uh, I shared the podcast on the Dresden Files uh, Facebook page, so if you're on there and want to discuss it on there as well, then reach out to myself. I'll be posting the link of the episode. But as well as being on uh, Podbean and Spotify, we had a request to be go to uh, put the show on Podcast Addict. So I went ahead and did that. I forgot to mention it the other day. No worries. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that that's awesome, man. Uh, so we've we've seen a really really uh, positive response um, from the first episode. It, it, it's only been out a week, and we've had uh, over fifty downloads, which uh, in podcast terms for such a, a, a kind of niche topic is uh it's pretty awesome uh i'm i'm really really pleased with it um I, I, and yeah uh what are your thoughts rob yeah i mean i'm surprised i was expecting us to post it and then like the only person to listen to it would be my mum same so <laughs> <laughs> and i've i've gone out of my way not to listen to it on like Spotify or anything, so I don't count as one of the people listening to it. So also same. So um, <laughs> to those those fifty people, uh, thank you so much for coming to listen, and hopefully, yeah, thank you. Yeah, hopefully you, you come back and listen to more. And and we really want this to feel like a book club. Um, and the more that people get involved, the more that we'll try to shout out kind of your thoughts on either. Uh, the last episode that we talked about or the upcoming episode and um, if you've got any questions or anything you want us to, to discuss uh, we can do that as well um, uh, so it would be it, it's great to hear from you and this is um, completely just like a, a fun uh, like bit of like kind of creativity between uh, between me and Rob and, and we just want to share it with everyone uh, and we want to share the Dresden Files with as many people as possible um, because though it's one of our favorite book series um yeah i think that that pretty much covers it um rob do you want to take us out yeah um yeah thanks again for listening i hope you continue to join us in reading stormfront um yeah so in the meantime enjoy the weather if it's sunny where you are it's a nice day here so enjoy the weather just one last thing why not crack open a can of coke just one last thing sorry um yep that's all right. <laughs> uh, next episode will be uh, chapters four to six of uh, the Dresden Files Stormfront. Uh, so 
Uh, if you want to keep uh, reading along with us, uh, give that uh, a read um, before next week. Also worth mentioning, I don't know if it still is, but it was last week. Uh, the Kindle version of Stormfront is currently available on uh, for like two ninety nine, I think. Um, if you're into your audiobooks as well, have Audible, you can get the two ninety nine ebook and the audiobook. I think for a total of like six seven pound. Brilliant time to start so, reading. Um, following this podcast, we should get you uh, nice and into the series as more and more Dresden books are coming out. Uh, okay, now Rob, take us out for real. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. If it's not, if the weather's nice where you are, enjoy the weather. Crack open a can of Coke, read some Stormfront, and yeah, we'll we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>